Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. So I've entitled my sermon this morning. I'm going to speak a bit about the resurrection and I've entitled it Not Set in Stone. Nowadays we are, um, as modern people, we, we can be quite skeptical and, and often we think um, if it sounds too good to be true, it usually is, Right? <laughs> that's usually what we think. If it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. And, and actually, that is true. Usually, when it sounds too good to be true, it usually is. Right? I mean, just think about, I don't know if I'm the only one who from time to time gets these emails congratulating me about a few million pounds that I inherited from some dead uncle I didn't even know I had. Am I the only one who gets that? Or do some of you also... Get it from time to time, you know. And it, it just sounds too good to be true. And the reason it sounds too good to be true is because it is. <laughs> it is too good to be true. It's probably some, some uh, person trying to hoax you out of your money. Um, and, um, you know, when, when, we, when we look at Jesus' death and, and especially the resurrection, um, some people might look at that and think, okay, but isn't that too good to be true? Um, the reality is... All of us have to go to the grave at some stage. That's just the reality of life. Uh, the mortality rate is still 100%. Okay. Uh, and, and the reality is, I think about 150,000 people die per day. Okay, So, so it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a genuine reality. Um, we all have to go to the grave, and that's one of our biggest challenges as, as humanity, and we really feel it keenly, especially when we think about it and, and search our hearts, is, is we're very mortal. We're, we're, we, we don't last forever. Um, all of us are on a journey, um, and sometimes that journey must end in its human form. So we all have to go to the, to the grave, and here comes Jesus, uh, the Bible, and says that Jesus rose from the dead, he didn't only go to the grave, but he went through the grave. And if we allow him to take us to the grave, he will take us through the grave. And many people will say, you know, it sounds a bit too good to be true. <laughs> Here is my biggest problem, my biggest need, and there's a solution for it just like that. And um, uh, today is, you know, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Um, we're going to read just now from, from Matthew 28, where it talks about how on the first day of the week, which is, which is Sunday, I remember uh, the Jewish calendar is from, from Sunday to Saturday, which is the Sabbath. Uh, some Christians sometimes wrongly think that Sunday is the Sabbath. Sunday isn't the Sabbath. It never was the Sabbath. It's, it's never been the Jewish Sabbath or the Christian Sabbath. Um, Saturday is the Sabbath, from Friday evening sundown to Saturday evening sundown. That's the Jewish Sabbath. So the day after the Sabbath, the first day of the week, is, is the Sunday. And that's when the resurrection took place. That's when the women went to the um, tomb, as we're going to see now, um, and, and discovered that Jesus had rose from the grave. And that's why we meet on a Sunday. <clears throat> that's why, even though Jews meet on the Sabbath, Christians gather on the Sunday, the first day of the week, the, the so-called Lord's Day. And it's called the Lord's Day because the Lord rose from the grave um, on this Sunday. And, and interestingly enough, <clears throat> usually Easter and Passover, the Jewish feast of Passover, and then Easter, um, sort of the Christian feast of Easter that was supposed to be based on Passover, usually the dates disagree sl slightly. They, they're usually sl slightly different if you go and check on, on Google. Um, but interestingly enough, this year they coincide. So, so today uh, is, is not only Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, it's also the 16th of Nisan, um, which is two days after the, the Jewish Passover. Um, Jesus would have um, risen... Um, on, from the grave on, on, on this Sunday uh, in the Jewish calendar as well. So let's, let's read from, I'm going to read you a, a, a sizable portion, and I just want you to, to just listen to it and, and let it sink into your heart. <clears throat> and I want you to notice also just the, the theme of the stone, the big stone um, uh, that, that is rolled before the grave. It says, When Jesus 
had cried out with a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split and the tomb, tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs uh, after Jesus' resurrection and came into the holy city and appeared to many people. When the centurion and those who were with, with him who were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the Son of God. And many women uh, were, uh, were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee and, uh, to care for, for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and, jo- and Joseph, and the mother of Je- Zebedee's sons. <clears throat> As evening approached, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who had himself become a disciple of Jesus. Going to Pilate, this Pontius Pilate, who presided over Jesus' um, um, case and, and, and condemned him to death, going to Pilate, uh, Joseph asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sat there, were sitting uh, there opposite the tomb. The next day, uh, the one after preparation day, the chief chief priest and the Pharisees uh, went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, uh, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the, order for the, uh, give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise his disciples will come and steal the body and tell uh, the people that he has been raised from the dead. The last, this last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go, make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. After the Sabbath... At dawn, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, the ones who had sat opposite the tomb when Jesus was buried in, uh, um, in the previous verses, went and looked, to look at the tomb. And there was a violent earthquake, and an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, and going to the tomb, rolled, the stone, uh, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. While the woman were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were, while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble." So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to uh, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So we see here the story of Jesus' death and his burial and uh, his resurrection. And... um, I just want to lift out um, three aspects, three, three different people and um, characters in the, in, the, in the story and how they relate and, and what they do with the stone. It's quite telling. Joseph puts the stone in front of the, the entrance of the tomb. The, 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 the chief priests seal the stone, try and keep it there, okay? And when it's taken away, they try and pretend that it, <laughs> you know... Um, they want to keep Jesus in the grave, in other words, and then the angel rolls the stone away. I just want to look at, at that um, and, 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 and what it means. So look at why uh, Joseph put the stone before the tomb, why the chief priest tried to keep the stone there, and why the angel rolled the stone um, away. So firstly, Joseph, why did he put the stone in front of the tomb? Uh, a few different reasons. Firstly, he wanted to honor Jesus in his death. It says that he himself had become a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. He obviously cared about Jesus, and he wanted to, to honor Jesus um, in his death. But another reason was also um, just to obey Scripture. If you look at Scripture in Deuteronomy 21, verse 22 and 23, it says, If someone, if someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death 
as Jesus was put to death, and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight, but be sure to bury it that, that same day. Because um, anyone who is hung on a pole or on a tree is under God's curse. You must not desecrate the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. So it says there clearly, don't let the body, the dead corpse, hang on the pole or on the, on, on, on the, on the tree overnight, on, on, on the cross in, in this case, overnight. But bury it, because everyone who is hung on a tree is um, under God's curse. And obviously, in his desire to honor Jesus, he wanted to minimize the shame. But the reality is, he couldn't remove the curse from Jesus, Joseph. In Galatians 3, verse 13 to 15, I'm not going to read that now, Paul actually quotes the scripture from Deuteronomy and says, you know, Jesus became a curse for us because it's written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Jesus actually literally was cursed. Why? Because that death was, according to God's law, supposed to be um, preserved or, or, or kept for people who did things that are specifically evil and that are under God's curse, and to show that they're under God's curse. Because um, when we break the law, there are not only physical consequences, but there are spiritual consequences. And one of those spiritual consequences is the curse. And um, so another reason, like I said, why, why, jo- why Joseph put the stone in front of the tomb, put Jesus in the, in the tomb and put the stone in front of it, was to obey the law and to minimize the shame, but he couldn't remove the curse. But another third reason, and, and I think this one is quite important, is that he wanted to get closure. As a disciple of Jesus and probably as all of Jesus' disciples, it must have been a massive shock. If you read the Gospels, you, you realize it was a massive shock to them what happened. They weren't expecting it. Which is strange because Jesus actually said a few times that this is what's going to happen, but still they weren't expecting it. Um, and they were shocked and they were traumatized. And, and if, if you can think, many of us might have lost people that we love, that were close to us and that we love. And when that happens, it's, it's, a, it's really a shock to your system. It, it shakes you. And <clears throat> one of the benefits of a memorial service or, or a burial service is that it brings closure it, it sort of helps you realize, okay, this person is, is finally has passed away from my life. And, and you can sort of get closure for yourself. And in a sense, I think Joseph, you know, by putting Jesus in the tomb, he was saying, okay, he's dead. He's going to stay dead. Uh, <laughs> that, that was the expectation. I mean, the, the reality, I mean, some people who have objections to Christianity and to the resurrection say, but no, you know, we know that people who die stay dead. Um, it was quite sad to me to see um, on, on YouTube and so on this, this hoax where I think it was a, a, some other pastor, Lecau, um who staged this guy in a coffin who pretended to be dead. But if you look carefully on the video, you can see sort of his chest moving. He's still breathing. <laughs> Um, and then pretended, you know, to raise him from the dead. And then when, when, when it came out that it was a hoax, when it was clear that it was a hoax, he sort of backtracked and said, no, 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 we never said he was dead and all that kind of stuff. But it was interesting that it happened just before Easter, which is all about the resurrection, and that it was in a coffin. And, you know, and, but many skeptics look at those kinds of hoaxes, and, and it causes them to go even deeper into their skepticism and say, but, you know, maybe Jesus' resurrection was like that. It was also only a hoax. Because people who die usually stay dead. Okay? Um, but then they'll say, but, but you know, the, the disciples were very credulous. They were, they were, they were very gullible. You know, they, they wanted to believe in miracles. They were desperate to believe in miracles, uh, and therefore they sort of created the reality that they wanted to believe. But if, if you look at this, that's not true at all. If they truly expected Jesus to rise from the dead, they would have nev- Joseph would have never put him in the tomb. You don't put a person who's going to rise from the dead in a tomb. You put a person who's dead and is going to stay dead in a tomb. Especially if you roll a big rock in front of it. So this idea that the early disciples were these gullible people, you know, that would just, you know, that would have believed anything supernatural that you told them, you know, just willy-nilly, is not true at all. It's not true at all. 
You know, they, they, they didn't expect the resurrection. Um, and Joseph wanted to get closure. You know, I, I can just imagine, you know, uh, the scene. Uh, it says Joseph was a rich man. So Joseph comes to Pilate and he asks Pilate, you know, for, for the body, you know, and, and says, you know, as, as this new tomb. And, and Pilate says, um, you, Joseph, I don't understand. You, you, you're one of the richest and most well-respected guys in, in this, this region. Um, and, and you had this... You know, at great cost to yourself, this, this, this tomb dug out, you know, in, into rock. I mean, you can imagine in those days what hard work it would have been to hollow out a piece of rock, you know, a tomb into it. It would have been very expensive. You know, Joseph had to be a rich guy to be able to afford that. So he says, you, you, you made this tomb, you know, for yourself. And now you just want to give it to Jesus? Just like that? And then Joseph saying, don't worry, it's only for the weekend, you know. <laughs> 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 now, that conversation would not have happened because Joseph didn't expect it to just be for the weekend. Now, it's, it's a bit like, you know, Jacob Zuma when he appoints ministers of finance. You know, like he said to Des van Rooyen, you know, it's just for the weekend, meh. <laughs> but it, it wasn't like that. It, it wasn't like that. Um, Joseph didn't expect it just to be for the weekend. He didn't, that's why he put him in, in the tomb and that's why he put this massive rock in front of the tomb because it closed the tomb. It was final. Jesus' death was set in stone, in his heart at least. And so often we, like Joseph, are slow to believe everything that Jesus prophesied and that the Old Testament prophesies. Joseph, I mean, all the disciples knew Jesus was going to rise from them because he said so. They, they were just slow to believe it. And that's what Jesus also says when he confronts them later, you know, um, uh, during the resurrection appearance. Why are you so, so, so slow of heart to believe everything that the prophets wrote and everything that I told you? But the reality is we are as well. I mean, in a sense, we believe in the resurrection. But do we really believe in the resurrection? I mean, one of the things I remember always, you know, even as a Christian struggling with was fear of failure. I, I was afraid to fail. And sometimes that fear would paralyze me and I, I'd have things to do and, and, you know, certain deadlines that I had to meet, you know, projects that I had to be in and so on. And I was so afraid of failing that I would get paralyzed by that fear and I, and I, I couldn't move past it. But if Jesus takes the thing that we need to be most afraid of and he overcomes it, Shouldn't we be free of that fear? And yet many of us still struggle with those fears. In other words, many of us, probably most of us to some extent, live as though the resurrection never happened. We are, in other words, let me ask you the question, how would you live if you really, but really believe that the resurrection happened, that Jesus rose from the dead, that he's living today, and that he has overcome death, he has overcome all of our greatest enemies? How, how would we live? I, I really think we would live lives that are much more fear, fearless than we're actually living. Um, so, we have some reasons why Joseph put the stone in front, before the tomb. But then, then we have the, the chief priests, and, and they, they want to seal the stone there in front of the tomb, you know. Um, and not only do they not believe in the resurrection of Jesus, they don't want to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. And the reality is that there are many people like that today who, not, who like the chief priests, it's not just that they don't believe, they don't want to believe, okay? And, and, and then when you ask people, uh, for reasons why they don't believe, they give like, you know, the ostensible answers, the answers that, you know, they want to appear to be true, but they are not really true. And then there's the real reason why people don't believe. Uh, if, if we sort of investigate our human hearts. And I just want to look at those two. Firstly, the, the sort of ostensible reasons why people don't believe in the resurrection. I'm just going to, this is not exhaustive list. I just want to mention a few as representatives. So, so um, one of the main reasons is people will say, no, there are good logical um, reasons why I, as a thinking person, cannot believe in a physical resurrection from the dead, okay? So they'll say, you know, if we look at this passage, they'll say, okay, how do we know? I mean, you know, there are eyewitness testimonies saying that the tomb was empty. Okay, fine, all good and well. But how do we know that they went to the right tomb, you know? Isn't it more plausible? Because, you know, as human beings, we want to find natural explanations, you know, for things like this. 
Okay? How do we know they went to the right tomb? You know, didn't, didn't they maybe go to the wrong tomb? Didn't they maybe get confused? But I mean, this passage tells us that the Marys were there. They were sitting right opposite the tomb when the burial took place, when, the, when, when Joseph put the body, Jesus' body in the tomb. They were sitting right there. They knew where the tomb was. They knew exactly where the tomb was. Um, and, and it says the day after the Sabbath, they went back to that tomb. So there's no chance. I mean, the eyewitnesses, there's no chance that they got the wrong tomb. They went to the right tomb. But the irony is, even though in those days they knew exactly where the tomb was and they got the right tomb, today we don't. If you go to Jerusalem today and you go on tours, you're going to have different people telling you different, showing you different sites and saying, no, the, the tomb of Jesus was here. And other people say, no, 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 it was there. Other people say, no, no, it was over here. And the reality is we don't know. <laughs> we don't know where the, tomb, the actual tomb of Jesus is. And you know why? Because it's not important. Because he's not there anymore. <laughs> he's not in the tomb. They know where Buddha's tomb is. They know where Muhammad's tomb is. They know where you know, all kinds of other important religious figures' tombs are because they're still there. But Jesus is no longer there. So very early on in Christian history, they forgot where the tomb was because no one ever made a pilgrimage there. You know, Like they go on pilgrimage to, to Buddha's tomb or to some other great person's tomb. And it's interesting. We know where the, the, the tombs of certain popes and certain saints, you know, and so on are, you know, in the Christian history. But we don't know where Jesus' tomb is because he's not there. It's not an important place because he rose from the dead. And, and even that, you know, supports, you know, the, the, the historic reality that, that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, some other reasons people will give you, they'll say, no, but there are contradictions. It says here, for instance, in one of these verses, let me just, here we go. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. And then they, the angel rolled the stone away and they, they, they saw the tomb was empty. And people will say, but, but hang on, you know, that's a bit of a contradiction. If Jesus was crucified on Friday, Good Friday, and he spent Saturday, the Sabbath, because it says the day after the Sabbath, in the grave, and the day after the Sabbath he rose, early in the morning, Nochos, then sure, I mean, aren't there other scriptures that say, like in Matthew 12, verse 40, that he'll be in the, where Jesus says, I'll be in the tomb for three days and three nights, just as Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights? So you see, there are all kinds of contradictions around Jesus and the Gospels and his death and resurrection. No, if you read it carefully, I don't think that's a problem. And, and here's, a, here's a, a, something that we need to learn. The Bible is inspired. Church history is not. Okay, church history tells us that Jesus rode on, rose on the Friday, uh, was buried on the Friday. Um, the Bible tells us, yes, that he rose early on the Sunday morning. But it's just history that says that it was on Good Friday, the, the afternoon, the evening, just before sundown on Good Friday that it was buried. But I think church history got it wrong. And I think this, this, if you read the Bible carefully, it tells you that. Because notice here, it talks about three things. Remember, this was around the Passover. And, and excuse me if I get a little bit, you know, sort of historic and so on here, just to give you a bit of background. But I really think it's going to help you understand and see that the Bible is actually true and doesn't contradict itself. So the Bible clearly says, Jesus says, for three days and three nights, I'll be in the, in the tomb. So there's, in Passover, you had the preparation day, which on the Jewish calendar was the 13th of Nisan. Uh, and then the, the, the Passover was prepared. Then on the 14th was the actual day of Passover, which um, was a special Sabbath. So even if it was on a Thursday or a Friday or a Tuesday, that day would be a special Sabbath, okay? Uh, a so-called high day. And when you read John's Gospel, it talks about the preparation day, and it says the next day was a special Sabbath, a high day, okay? So, so what happened here was that Jesus, the preparation day, was probably... On a Thursday. I mean, Jesus was crucified and buried on preparation day. The Friday, the day before the Sabbath, was then the special Sabbath, a high day. So it was a special Sabbath. And then the Saturday was obviously the normal seventh day Sabbath. 
and then the Sunday came. So that on that week when Jesus was crucified, there were two consecutive Sabbaths. Sabbaths. And notice it says here, um, if you go, go a bit earlier, it says, it talks about the preparation day. It says the next day, the one after preparation day. So there was preparation day. And then he doesn't say that the next day, which is the Sabbath. Because it talks about the Sabbath in, in, in the beginning of, this, of chapter 28. But it doesn't say the next day, the day after preparation day, which was the Sabbath. So if he, he's already talking about the Sabbath. So if the day after preparation day was the normal seventh day Sabbath, the Saturday, he would have said the next day on the Sabbath, they went to Pilate. But he says that the next day, the day after the preparation day. Why? Because that was the, not the normal Sabbath, but a special Sabbath, the high day. So here what, what happened. Jesus was crucified and buried on the Thursday. He spent the, 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 the whole of the Thursday evening, the, the whole of the Friday, including the Friday evening, the whole of the Saturday, including the Saturday evening, and then the Sunday morning he was raised from the dead, three days and three nights. The, the reality is, if we are looking for reasons not to believe, we will find reasons not to believe, whether those reasons are good or not. I, I always tell this, this little parable. You've, you might have heard the, the parable of the dead man walking. Uh, this friend of yours uh, is convinced that he's dead, and you're really concerned about him, you know, because um, you know his mental health might not be entirely okay. So you 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 take um, you know the the three best manuals on, on medicine and you show it to me, you show all of them agree and they, they prove empirically that dead people don't bleed. In fact, the way you can you know, tell whether a wound is made before someone dies or after someone dies is by whether there's blood because when they die, their heart stops, the blood st stops circulating and there's no, no bleeding, so dead people don't, uh, don't bleed. And, and, and you say to him, you see that? There's complete unanimous agreement upon, uh, on, on this matter you know, in all the literature. And he says, yes, I see it. So you take a knife and you cut him on his hand and blood starts coming out. And his eyes go wide like this. And, and you say, you see that? And he says, yes, I see. I see. You understand what it means? And he says, yes. It, it means the, the books are wrong. Dead people do bleed. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the point of, of that little parable. The point is we interpret the evidence. The evidence doesn't speak for itself. The evidence doesn't speak for itself. We interpret the evidence based on what we already believe. If you already believe something deeply enough, you will force the evidence to conform with what you believe. And, and that's why the question is not just today, um, if you don't believe, I want to ask you this, obviously with a lot of love and respect in my heart, if you don't believe... I'm not only asking you, why don't you believe? I'm, I'm asking you, and, and I want you to be honest with yourself, why don't you want to believe? What do you want to believe? Because you will believe that. So, I mean, you have, you have the wrong tomb theory, you have supposed contradictions. Now, this is just one example of a supposed contradiction, but when you understand things correctly, you see that it's not a contradiction. Another, another theory is um, the stolen body theory, and, and uh, supposedly a theory that the chief priests you know, paid you know, to circulate amongst the Jews. Um, but the reality is, let me just see, I think I put up a picture of a tomb here, yeah? a, a tomb that was hewn out of rock. And the big rock. I mean, that thing weighs, you know, many hundreds of kilograms, you know, some of them more than a ton or even a few tons, those, those big round rocks that were rolled. And, and they were often made so that they would roll downhill in front of the um, entrance of the tomb. And if you wanted to move it away, you, have to, you had to roll it uphill. You know, many men had to move it uphill and then put a, a wedge in that would block it and keep the tomb door open. So not only was that heavy stone there, and, 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 and Matthew tells us, you know, it was a big stone, you know, at the end of chapter 27. But they come and they seal the stone. Now, how they sealed the stone was they took metal brackets. I mean, this is one of the ways they sealed the stone. And then they put bolts and stuff into the rock next to the stone and into the stone with the, with, uh, through these brackets so that these steel brackets held the stone in place. And then they posted a guard which was at least four Roman soldiers, if it was a Roman, Roman uh, soldier guard, fully armored with plate armor and swords and all kinds of stuff. Now, now, now they want us to believe that a bunch of scared disciples who were hiding in the upper room, as we know, 
would charge these guards, overpower them, and steal, somehow break open these you know, seals and steal the body. Or, even worse, sneak up very quietly, somehow break these steel seals, and then quietly roll this massive rock out of the way, sneak into the tomb, steal Jesus' body, and slip off while the guards are sleeping. But worst of all is that the guards are still around to tell the tale. You know, I just want to read you this passage. This is in Acts 12. Now, now what happens here, what, what Herod does here, is based on a law in those days that if you had to, uh, if, if you were charged to guard someone who was um, a prisoner or so, if, if they escaped, then whatever the charge on them was came automatically upon you. Or if you were charged to execute someone and you failed to execute them, then whatever their sentence, which was a death sentence, you then received the death sentence. Okay? So it says here, in the morning uh, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had happened, had become of Peter. That's when the angel you know, helped him escape from, from the prison. After Herod had, thoroughly ser- uh, had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. Okay? So th- he was just applying the Roman law. And, and that's why the chief priests say, you know, take the money, tell the story that, you know, you fell asleep and, and they snuck in there. I mean, already it's a, it's a silly story. They didn't think properly when they made up the story because it's, it's not credible. You know, if, to anyone who's thinking, it's not credible. But tell the story. And if you get in trouble with the governor, we will, we will placate him. You know, we will satisfy him, you know, if you come in trouble. Because they knew this was the trouble they were going to get in. If they lost the body, they would be executed. That was what the law required. So the mere fact that they were still around to tell this story of theirs proves that their story is not true. Because if it were true, they would have been executed. You know, any smart Jew or Roman in those days would have said, you know, okay, if the story of yours is true, why are you still alive? <laughs> Doesn't the law say that you must be executed? Um, um, <laughs> So you have all kinds of ostensible reasons why people don't believe. But if you look at them carefully and really just think for yourself, not just gullibly believe what you've been told in popular media, but really think for yourself, you'll realize that these reasons not to believe in the resurrection are not good reasons. They're not convincing, compelling reasons. And I just gave a few examples as, as representatives. So let's look at the true reason why Often we as human beings don't believe. Um, and two places uh, in the passage, I'm not going to read it now. When, when Jesus rises, at one stage he meets the women, and it says they fall down and they clasp at his feet and they worship him. And then later on when he meets his disciples on the mount, what do they do? They worship him. And that is the real reason why we as human beings often don't want to believe. Because if the resurrection really happened, if Jesus really rose from the dead, it means he really is who he says he is. He is Lord. He is God. He is the Messiah. And then like those women and like his disciples, we need to fall down and worship him and serve him. And the reality is that as human beings, our natural sinful inclination is not to want to do that. We want to live for ourselves. We want to do what pleases us. We want to do what's comfortable to us. We do not want to live for Jesus. We do not want to worship Jesus in, in our normal fallen humanness. Praise God, you know, when, when we get born again, he actually gives us a heart of flesh for a heart of stone. And he actually does change us to actually start wanting to, to worship him and to start wanting to serve him and start wanting to live for him. But the reality is, if Jesus went through so much suffering... Let me, let, me, let me put it this way. Jesus didn't live a life of suffering and die a death of suffering so that we can be comfortable. And if he really rose from the dead, if he went through that suffering and then rose from the dead, and we must live for him and worship him as Lord and God, then we must be willing to live the sacrificial, uncomfortable lives that are modeled on his life. And the reality is, as modern people, we don't want that. We, we have been in a deeper 
way than we realize. We've been conditioned, brainwashed to be little consumers, to, to want to do things that make us comfortable. And, 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 and as Christians, we, we start breaking through that by the grace of God and by the power of His Holy Spirit. But even as Christians, often we fall back into that consumer mentality and we become little consumer Christians rather than crucified Christians. That, that is the reality. We, we want to be comfortable. But we must live a life of worship to the Lord and of imitating the Lord even in His sufferings. And to us, sometimes that is hard. Um, uh, uh, there's a, a well-known scholar called N.T. Wright wrote many books um, that are well-known and he said when he talks to his professor friends you know guys who are professors in theology but who often don't believe in the resurrection and who often don't believe um, you know who are basically not regenerate who are not born again and don't believe in God and when he asks them you know and, and when he talks to them and, and he asks them why don't you he says when they get really honest with him, they'll say, you know, it's because if I believe in God, if I believe in the resurrection, if I believe in Jesus, then I can't live the life I want to live. You know, he has, he has some, some professor, this, this specific uh, professor, he said, was, was not a, actually a theologian. He was professing in something else. But, but he said, you know, the reason I don't believe in Jesus is because I wanted to. You know, I, I made a decision when I was at, at college um, or at university. I wanted to sleep around. I wanted to have casual sex with whomever I wanted, whenever I wanted to. And, you know, having been raised in a Christian home and believing in Jesus, it made me feel bad and actually a bit scared to think that there was someone who was going to judge me at the end of this. I didn't want to believe that, so I decided not to. And, and that is the true reason we often don't believe, and that's the reason why... <laughs> The chief priests seal the stone, place the guard in front of the tomb, and try and keep Jesus inside the tomb. They want him there. A dead Jesus is not a threat to them. But they don't want a living Jesus. They don't want a resurrected Jesus. You know, that's the last thing that they want. So the third thing then is why did the angel roll the stone away? Why did the angel roll the stone away? Now notice, you know, if you, if you read these passages, you'll see that, so it says, um, there was a violent earthquake and the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. And then it doesn't say, and Jesus walked out. And just, just by the way, you know, I always wonder, you know, why did the angel not only roll the stone away, but rolled it away and then sat on it? You know, it, it's like, you know, these, <laughs> these pictures of you see, you see of, of some other big game hunter, you know. He doesn't just shoot the buck or the elephant or the who knows what, you know. But he takes a photo, you know, with his one foot, you like, on it, like, you know, <laughs> I have conquered this thing, you know. I've <laughs> it's like the angel, you know, he rolls a stone away and then he goes and sits on it, you know, like, <laughs> selfie, you know. <laughs> this is how we roll, you know. <laughs> Hashtag, this is how we roll. <laughs> but, but notice, he doesn't roll the stone away and then Jesus comes waltzing out, you know. Jesus is not there. He's already not in the grave. This is important. The angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. The angel rolled the stone away to let us in. It was only when the stone was rolled away and the people, the eyewitnesses, could start seeing, whether it be the women or whether it be the, the gods, could start seeing that the tomb is empty, that things started happening. But Jesus was already gone. I mean, you thought Jesus just walked on water? He walks through walls. Okay? <laughs> he was already gone. He'd already left the house. <laughs> He'd already left the building. He, he was already resurrected. He didn't need the stone to be rolled away to get out. I mean, we see it later when the disciples are gathered in the upper room. The doors are all locked. Jesus walks right through the wall or through the door. I don't know what he walked through, but he walked through something. And then he was there, right in the midst of them. So the angel didn't roll the stone away to let Jesus out. He rolled the stone away to let us in. To let us into this historic reality that Jesus rose from the dead, that our greatest enemy, death, has been overcome, and that we no longer have to be afraid of it. But, but I also want you to notice that it's not 
Just because you are led into the reality of the resurrection doesn't mean it changes your life. Because on the one hand, you had the women who saw the resurrection and they ran back and became witnesses and saying, this is a great opportunity. This is a change in history. And they were, it says they were both afraid and joyful at the same time. You know, that excited, you know, mix that you get sometimes when something amazing happens. That, that, that was what they had. And they reported it to this, the disciples who initially didn't believe them and then ran to the tomb themselves to see for themselves. Okay? But here's the thing. They responded in a certain way. They saw the empty tomb. They were let in and saw the empty tomb. And they responded with faith. Sort of fearful faith, joyous, but joyous faith, real faith. But where the gods, they looked at that situation, and whereas the women saw it as an opportunity and a great victory that had been won in, in, in history, the gods saw it as a big problem. And then they went to report it to the chief priests, who saw it as even a bigger problem. Because if this Jesus, whom we crucified... <laughs> And preached against, you know, all these years, really is who he says he is. We're in trouble, you know. Of course, one of the things that he supposedly is is a chief priest, you know, the high priest. And no, hang on, you know, we're the chief priest, you know. Our, our jobs will be gone, you know. Our credibility will be gone. Our power will be gone. And there are people, there were people in those days and there are people today who are willing to spend good money to hide and deny the resurrection. Because the implications are too uncomfortable. Too uncomfortable to face up to. So, in closing, I just want to remind us that if we allow Jesus, all of us have to go to the grave. But if we allow Jesus to take us to the grave, he will take us through the grave. And he's the only one who can do that. He is the only one who can do that. Everyone else who claims to be a spiritual leader, they'll say to you, I know the way. I can show you the way. But they're still in the grave. They might claim to know the way, but they certainly don't know the way through the grave because they're still there. Their bones are lying there. You know, whether it's Muhammad, whether it's Buddha, whether it's you know, some other guru from India, I don't care who it is. They don't know the way through the grave. There's only one who does. I mean, even those guys... I mean when Jesus died on the cross, when he gave up his spirit, and the earth shook, and the graves were opened, you know, and some of the holy men raised up. I mean, what was the difference between them and Jesus? The difference was they were just resuscitated. They died again. When Jesus was resurrected, he never died again. And that is what he promises us. He says, if you allow me to take you to the grave, if you desire to come after me, you deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You follow me to the grave. You follow me to your death. But I'm not only taking you to the grave, I'm taking you through the grave into eternal life. That is the promise he gives us. And, and we know, we know, we know, whether, we are, whether you're a Christian this morning uh, or not, you know, whether, whether you, you know you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a while, or whether you're still sort of making up your mind and deciding whether you want to become a Christian, you know that this is the solution to your biggest life problems. Because if you're not a Christian... You know that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, can change your life and bring about those fundamental changes that you cannot do yourself and turn you into the person that you know you ought to be and that you actually want to be. But not only that, if you're a Christian, I mean, we as Christians also struggle with stuff. And we know <laughs> that at the root of the stuff that we struggle with is us, our selfishness. Our greed, our lust, our lack of love. But if we can die with Jesus and be raised again and be rid of this flesh, this death that is inside of us, then it will not only save us to begin with, but it will continue to save us and help us to be more like Jesus. And so believing in the resurrection is the key to our salvation, whether it's the the beginning of our salvation or the continuation of our salvation and becoming more like Jesus. Believing in the resurrection is the key. Experiencing it is the key. And I'm going to ask the ushers just to hand out, do we have elements of communion? Just to hand out the elements of, of the communion because the difference between the women and the disciples on the one hand and the gods and the chief priests on the other hand 
is not that the one group were eyewitnesses and the other group were not. Both groups were eyewitnesses. But both groups responded differently to the resurrection. The women and the disciples, the early apostles, they received Jesus. They said, what Jesus did becomes mine. I, I surrendered to him as the Messiah. I am willing to accept that he is, that, that the resurrection proves that he is who he claims to be. And I'm, I'm willing to allow that to change my life. And that's what we're going to do now when we have communion. I'm, I'm not going to ask anyone to, to stand up or to come forward. But if you are not a Christian this morning, or you're still uncertain whether you're a Christian, and you're still sort of making up your mind, but maybe what I said today convinces you that, yes, this is the resurrection really did happen. Jesus really did rise from the grave. He really did turn the grave into a gate, into eternal life. And I want to walk through that gate. If you're convinced by it, I want you to use this communion as an opportunity to say, thank you, Jesus, that your body was broken for me. Thank you that your blood was shed for me. And thank you that you rose again from the grave to give me life. And I want you to receive Jesus for who he really is, the Messiah, the King, God himself come in the flesh. And if you are a Christian already, I want you to say, Lord, help me through these elements to partake more deeply of your death and resurrection. Because it says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Help me to participate, to partake more deeply through faith in both your death and your resurrection, so that I can, in practice, become more like you, become what you have already made me. Because that's our problem. God has already done, started doing something and, and, and fundamentally on the inside changed us, but we need to become who we already are. And the only way is by truly believing and embracing in both the death and resurrection of Jesus. Did we miss anyone? Is there anyone who, who didn't get some some bread or a cup. Lord Jesus, it's such a privilege, Lord, to, at the very time of Passover, the very same time of the year when you died and rose again, when you instituted the communion, the Lord's Supper, from the Passover, to take these elements representing your broken body and your shed blood and to receive it. Thank you, Jesus, that this bread represents your body that was broken for us. Bruised for us, pierced for us. So that we can be restored. So that we can be set free. And we just come and receive it, Lord. Receive what you did for us. Thank you that you were willing to be hung on a cross, on a, on a pole, Lord, and be cursed so that we can be blessed. And we receive that blessing now and we remind ourselves how costly it was to you. And we really appreciate it, Jesus. We thank you for it. As we receive it, let it change our hearts. In Jesus' name, let's eat together. Lord, where many of us this morning, Lord, even those of us who have believed in you for, for a long time already, Lord, sit with um, guilt and shame in our lives. Lord, we, we just want to thank you for your blood, this cup which represents your blood that was shed for us, Lord, and that washes away all sin. And we confess that we believe that our sins are forgiven not because we deserve to have them forgiven, not because, Lord, our commitment to try harder is good enough, not because, Lord, we use many words and plead with you and convince you or twist your rubber arm, but because in your love you were willing to shed your blood for everyone 
to save and to cleanse everyone who believes in you. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that your blood washes away all sin. Not just some of our sin, all sin. That the shame that you took upon yourself, hanging publicly and naked on the cross, Lord, that through that you you take our shame. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you didn't just take our sin to the cross, but you took us to the cross. And we celebrate as we drink this cup that because we believe in you, Jesus, we have died with you and we have risen with you and we live with you. If, if you're struggling with guilt and shame in your life, I just want you to, as you drink this cup, just say, Lord, cleanse me, wash me white as snow, just in your own words. And then receive it as the Lord's forgiveness and cleansing. Let's drink together. And Lord, we pray, Lord, that as we go out, that we'll go out with the same almost jittery, fearful excitement and joy that the women went and told your disciples about your resurrection. Lord, that we won't go out as the gods, Lord, proclaiming the resurrection as a problem to be solved, but that we'll go out, Lord, as the women, proclaiming the resurrection as a victory to be received and to be partaken of. And I pray, Lord, for every single person here this morning, Lord, that, that, that you will renew the joy of our salvation, that you'll renew our excitement about you, Jesus, and what you have done, that we'll be so excited that we'll bubble over like, like those women did, just with a testimony that Jesus is alive. He has risen from the dead. He has overcome death. Death is no longer the end. It's not even the beginning of the end. It, it's, it's, not even the, it's, it's just the end of the beginning. And, and, and now eternity lies before us. Thank you, Lord, that you turned the grave into a gate. And that after your resurrection, Jesus, death is no longer set in stone. But that we can go through death. And thank you that you've given us this secret, this truth, and that we can joyfully take it out into the world because it really is good news. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.